From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com It's always fun, right when you're about ready to press play, and you think this is going to be like a, a normal episode, but then Mary Beth says something, and it makes it sound like it's going to be a spicy one in some cases. It's me this time. I'm the problem. It's me. <laughs> it's not me for once. Uh, welcome back to Little Cuts, our 100th episode, question mark? What? I don't feel like we've been doing this that long enough to have 100 little cuts, but here we are. Uh, it's a weekly Minnesota. We dig into things that we've been watching, I think, just watching recently. I don't know anymore. I'm Terry. I'm Mary Beth. And this week we are talking a queer erotic thriller, sex rooms, a folklore disaster epic, and queer serial killers in love. A lot of gay. You sure I are. Love, I love the gay energy of this episode already. There's a lot of gay energy in this I mean, not that this, not that this podcast doesn't always have gay energy, but... It's <laughs> what you talking about? I'm straight as can be. <laughs> to as man licks armpit in background. <laughs> Don't pay attention to that. Don't worry about that. <laughs> um, okay. It's a very manly man. He is pumping iron raw. I've deceased? <laughs> He's sweaty. 
He has no towel. What are you going to do? It's true. You got to lose. You lick, lick it off. Dry like a cat. <laughs> this is. Disgusting. I don't know how demons operate. This is disgusting. I'm so sorry. <laughs> anyway, uh, queer erotic thriller. <laughs> Back in, gosh, was it 2020? We had Joshua Tonks on and he talked about Scream. He is also, he's, I love him. He has a wonderful voice. He's very nice. He's very smart. We share inappropriate gifts sometimes with each other. Oh, that's love. Yeah, it, it is. And he was in a short film called The Latent Image, directed by Alexander McGregor Burrell. Um, back then, he had said that, you know, they had intentions of making the latent image the movie that he was in or the short film that he was in into a feature film cut forward to 2022 and here we are the latent image just premiered at soho film festival in the uk had some has some other people attached to it that we know for instance brendan haley who runs june gloom productions i believe i believe he runs june gloom productions and he also designed my current website's Gaily Dreadful's uh, icon and stuff. And um, it also has, it's also produced by Michael Verratti, previous guest of the show. Sweet one of my favorite boy. people on Twitter. Love him. And it is, uh, it takes the idea from the short film and extends it into um, a feature length film. And it's about a thriller writer who goes to a isolated cabin to write. As he starts writing, he's like having writer's block, and then all of a sudden the words start flowing. And as he starts to write, the things in his book are starting to take place in the real world, it seems like. A, a mysterious man shows up in a car. He enters into the, the house. There's a little bit of, like, menace. Is this is this sexual energy? Is it danger? Mm -hmm. It kind of plays with that sort of um, motif of inherent possibility of violence whenever there are two people in, two men involved where you're not quite sure what the sexualities of the other person. And they start to create this sort of like very uneasy dialogue about what Ben, the writer, has been has been writing. And it sort of unfolds from there. Story by Joshua Tonks and also Alexander Burrell sort of takes the, the kernel that was in the short film and adds a lot more complexity and layers to it. Mm. And... It's, it's a lot of fun, and it was really kind of cool to see a queer-themed erotic thriller, because I think we need more of those. Yes. I can't wait to watch it. But yeah, no, this is good. I think it'll be playing at other festivals hopefully soon, so I hope more people will be able to see it, because um, I had a good time with it. Cool. I'm so excited to see it, because, again, friends, yeah. but also we're erotic thrillers, and we've done erotic thrillers on Little Cuts, so we want more queer ones, because a lot of the, I think almost all of the ones we did were incredibly straight. Yeah, most the of them. I mean, Bound. Oh, we did Bound. Then we did um, Stranger by the Lake. Oh, Stranger by the Lake. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. But most of them You're are pretty <laughs> heteronormative. Yeah. Yeah. Very heteronormative. Uh, but yeah, so I love to see people that I care about and love do great things and succeed. So check it out if it's playing at a festival near you at some point. Yeah. But let's uh let's continue with gosh we have like a theme going let's continue with the sex and talk about sex rooms. Okay, so this is a silly one. I haven't had a lot of time to watch a lot of movies, but something I did binge watch is a it's not horror at all, but it is a I want that old fashioned. It is a new series on Netflix. So I with Steve and our best friends we binge watched How to Build a Sex Room on Netflix. Okay, and. It is the most charming, delightful thing I've ever watched. And so, you know, you go into a show called How to Build a Sex Room with, you know, some preconceived notions of what that's going to mm -hmm. entail. And 
It's actually incredibly sex positive and very much embraces oh. queerness and polyamory and all different kinds of sexualities. Mm-hmm. And the woman who hosted her name is Melanie Rose. She is like probably in her 50s or 60s, British white woman with a with like super like with a pixie cut, super colorful personality. And she is a gra- she is an interior designer, but she when a, when a client asked her to design a sex room, she actually ended up making it one of her specialties is designing rooms for sex for couples. And so this each episode is dealing with a different couple with different needs. And so like we have a lot of straight couples, but we also have a couple with a non-binary person and a cis woman. Mm. We have a we have a couple who are part of a six it's like a it's a polycule of seven people and they build and she's building a sex room for them to all be able to have group sex comfortably. Oh, so is each like episode a different Sort of. So they all, yeah, different. So it's like, they usually overlap because they do, they're, they have, there's eight episodes and it's one, it's okay. one couple per episode. They usually will do one couple and introduce a second one and that'll go in like the second half of that second couple will go into okay. the first one. So they overlap a little bit. A little like bit like Alias. Yeah. <laughs> and there's also a, um, a segment of. The Alias of Sex Room, sorry. And then there's actually even at the end a woman who does not have a partner but wants a room where she can actually experience orgasm for the first time and like learn how to pleasure herself oh. after being in a marriage for over twenty years and never having um, achieved orgasm. So it's not like it's obviously sensationally marketed and named, but it's actually an incredibly mm-hmm. like thoughtful show about sex positivity and the, like the importance of sex in relationships and the importance of embracing everyone's sexual desires and like breaking down taboos and it's a lot of this work in the show does a lot about destigmatizing like bdsm and what bdsm means and what kink means and kind of breaking down in more simple terms what kink is and people realizing oh you're not beating the shit out of me like getting spanked does not mean pain necessarily and there's a lot of really interesting like couples that seem very uncomfortable with this at first being introduced to these concepts in, in a way that they can understand a little bit gentler and it's okay. really good like yeah. it's a netflix home improvement show so like it's not changing the world or anything but it's like it was surprisingly fun and like not it obviously leans into like this like they do close-ups of them pouring white paint onto stuff and dripping like they know what they're doing but the host of the show is incredibly kind and empathetic and is like, oh, I've never made a room for a polycule before. Let's fucking go. And she's like, she meets with each of them individually to figure out what each of their sexual needs are. And she ca- and make their room caters to everyone's individual sexual desires. And like, it's neat. It's neat. That's cool. I liked it a lot. It's been a, f- it's a fun show to watch and like be surprised by. It's got like queer eye energy. But less like, yes, queen. Sorry, Jonathan. <laughs> but it's got like kind of those wholesome vibes of someone coming in and like changing a perspective on sex in a positive way. Oh, yeah. So it's really, it's fun. It's on Netflix, eight episodes. Melanie Rose is my queen and I love her. And yeah, and it's not, there. it's not heteronormative. There's a gay couple. There's, there's a gay couple. There's a lesbian couple. There's a non-bi, there's a couple, there's a trans couple. Like, and it's not just white. Like, they really, they did a good job casting because it doesn't feel like heteronormative white people in suburbia. Like, it's a pretty okay. broad spectrum of ages, gender, gender, like, genders, race, f- socioeconomic background. That was the word I was just like, what is this word? So, yeah, it's not horror, but it's fun. So if you're looking for something that kind of fun and you're okay with watching, it's like, and it's very, it's very sex forward. So if you're, you know, if you're comfortable with that, it's fun. 
on Netflix. Cool. So I know. I will add that to my list. Like I, I kept side eyeing it like what? Oh, 100%. I was side-eyeing it, too, but then one of our other friends told our best friend, this woman who hosted is just like you when you grow up, and you, I want you to build sex rooms. And I was like, okay, well, that's a funny endorsement, and we watched it, and this woman is exactly <laughs> like my best friend. Um, the efficient at my wedding, Terry. Um, and oh, okay. what she yeah. is like as a person. So we were, like, hmm, skeptical, but once you get into it, you're like, okay, never mind. This actually is quite, quite fun. So... Awesome. That's that. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, let's go into the other end of uh, the spectrum with a folklore disaster. <laughs> so I really thought I was only going to have the the queer erotic thriller, the latent image to talk about. And then yesterday after we had a marathon recording with, for Mary Beth and myself, I got a screener from Netflix for a movie I've been very, very excited for. It's called Troll. Oh, shit. It, oh, uh <laughs> It's directed by Roar Uthaug. Not sure if I pronounced his name correctly. He, um, You might remember me talking about one of the movies that he directed, because he did the first movie in that in the Norwegian um, disaster kind of trilogy. Oh, yeah. The Wave, um, The Quake, and then The Burning Sea. He directed The Wave, oh. and then he would go on to do Tomb Raider. Oh, oh, the Al- Alicia Vikander one? The 2018. Okay. Yeah. And so... He's coming back. This is a another Norwegian film. It's about it, it follows the same kind of themes, I would say, as the wave in terms of like ecological disasters that are being caused a lot by by man, where we have like this the the Norwegian government is trying to create a tunnel to through Dovra by doing so awaken a giant troll. That has been sleeping there because like troll and trolls in Norway, you know, have a very uh, rich folkloric history. And so we follow this movie, I, I would say, takes a little bit. So it's a little bit of Jurassic Park influenced. It's a little bit of King Kong, like Skull Island in particular, I would say, influenced. And then it's also ecological disaster. And so we have Nora, who is a paleontologist, who gets called by the Norwegian government to come because they find these giant their footprints, but no one wants to say their footprints in the ground, leaving Ain't the Dover that just tunnel. Just the that fucking was... way. Those aren't footprints. Uh-huh. Is obviously a giant fucking footprint. <laughs> she gets brought into this like big military room. The prime minister's there. The general is there, and everything. And they're showing this big footprint. She's like looking at it, and then looking back at people, and then looking at it, and going, "Is this a joke?" And they're like, "No." <laughs> what do you think that is? She's like, "Do you not see a footprint there?" <laughs> And so what they end up doing is we end up following these different characters as they are trying to figure out what is going on while this troll is causing havoc on its way to Oslo for some unknown reason that is explored through through the film. And it has a propulsive beat to it. The, it has like that kind of, you know, Hollywood like disaster film. You know how like they're they're constantly cutting between different different characters in different regions and there's words on the screen that be like Dovra or you know Oslo or the prime minister's residence or something like that like it has that kind of feel to it and it's just it's a lot of fun it takes the idea of like a a disaster film and makes it about fantasy and folklore and it incorporates some of the the traditional folkloric uh tales about uh trolls in terms of like art is this troll allergic to light? Do do they not like bells? Do they like the smell of Christian blood? 
Like, uh, are they attracted uh-huh. to eating Christians? And so there's, like, all this kind of stuff that the movie explores. And it's just, it's a lot of fun. Hell yeah. I've been super stoked for this. Because, like, I love Troll Hunter. And we don't have enough big troll movies. And mm-hmm. I'm very excited for this one. And especially because of the guy did the wave. It's really good. So that's super cool. I like the idea of a disaster movie with a troll. That is very exciting to me <laughs> to watch. And somehow, even though, like, this is probably a relatively low-budget film in terms of, like... I, I mean, when I say low-budget, I don't mean that, like, this is, like, a a million-dollar film. Like, this this film probably has a lot of money in it. But when you compare it to a big Hollywood type of disaster film, yeah. it's probably a minuscule budget. But I will say that the CG in this movie, particularly with the troll, is so fucking good. Oh, fuck yeah. Okay. It looks so much better than... <laughs> A lot of blockbusters being released in Hollywood. <laughs> like, he fits oh. in the screen. He fits on it. And he looks like he's part of it. Not like he's standing in front of a green screen. Or they or the actors are standing in front of it. It just, it looks great. I love this movie. Oh, fuck. It's a lot of fun. December 1st, it will be on Netflix. Oh, fuck yeah. Okay, cool. Ooh, that's so exciting. Yeah. Okay. Now, apparently, we're going to get spicy. Which I was not prepared for. So, um, Mary Beth, what what are we watching? And um, what was what was your impression of this film? I have to ask. Okay, so we watched Tragedy Girls from 2017, a movie that I've been very excited to watch, and I watched it, and I didn't dislike mm-hmm. it. I didn't dislike it. Okay. But I did not think it was as smart as I think it is, as I think it thinks it is. Okay. I. I will counter that, but I I'm know, curious. I, I, I'm curious to hear your points about it, too, because, I, like, I liked a lot about it. I think it's okay. doing, like, I like the, I, I wish there were more about the characters. I feel like these two girls are a little, not, surface level doesn't feel right. There's something that I want more from the, those these two okay. characters. I so much wanted them to be, like, like straight queer. Like, fuck the boyfriend. I don't... I just wanted them to be mm-hmm. so... Because I love that. Like, there's that queer tension going on here that I know that a lot of people have talked about. And that is one of my favorite parts here, where it's, like... It's not just... It doesn't feel like just friendship jealousy. But you see in other, like... More, like, teen comedies and things like that. It just... It has this more like, fascinating tension underneath the surface that I was really... Really liked and wanted more of. I think... For 2017, I'm trying to remember that it's 2017, not 2022, and a lot has changed in five years. Like as much as we like to think mm-hmm. it's not a long period of time, like this, the 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 mat, like how we interact on social media is so different, and mm-hmm. it feels like it's trying too hard sometimes, which I know feels weird because I I do love two girls who are very smart that no one suspects being murderers. Like that's that's fucking rad as shit and like they're manipulating the system in a fucked up way and they're not like characters you would they're not good guys and i love that i love good teenage like female anti-heroes who you love but they're also despicable like i do love that but there's just something Mm -hmm. about this movie that like it wasn't enough and i'm still trying to figure out why that is but it just like i liked what it was doing i enjoyed watching it but i just think it was a little bit too surface level than what i was expecting Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I get that. I 100% get that. <laughs> Which I'm bummed I about because I was really excited and like, I don't, I, I knew, I was ex- like, I was like, this is, this checks off all of my fucking catnip boxes of things to watch. So 
I'm not really sure. I'm still trying to like totally articulate why it didn't resonate with me as much as it could have. But I want to hear about you and because this is what it, you love this movie. I do love I this movie. Hear, I love this movie very much. Yeah, and I want to hear more from you it's, about it. So I think if you think of this movie as a romantic comedy, you have two girls that are obviously in love with each other, whether they realize it or not. Yeah. You have the male characters that they are that are introduced to them. One is the the goody goody boy next door best friend. Mm-hmm. The other one is a bad boy. This is complete tropes in a romantic comedy. Once they start to get introduced to that and start to embrace that heteronormativity because they've been together for so long, they start getting jealous of each other. Once one person starts to like, you know, focus more on Toby, who's played hilariously by Josh Hutchinson. If uh, I had to be murdered, at least it was by you. At least it was you. <laughs> Once they start to like go in those in those different directions, they get jealous of each other. And what's the first thing that comes to mind? We got to kill them. Why? Because we are discovering things about ourselves that we are in love. The music in the movie also plays into this. There is a montage towards the end once they've had their, because girl meets girl, girl loses girl, girl gets girl back. And so girl loses girl in, in a misunderstanding and they each go with their respective guys. One, Alexander Shipp's character, who I love, I think she's fantastic in this, ends up with the, the murderer, serial killer. And uh, Brianna Sadie ends up with the boy next door, played by Jack Quaid. And there's the song that's playing, and it's like, I know she broke your heart. Like, there's all this kind of stuff. And it is totally a sappy breakup song about losing your a girlfriend. And then they, what do they do by the end of the movie? They're back together. They say, fuck you to norm- heteronormativity. And they, they burn prom, which is like the symbol of heteronormativity in a bunch of romantic comedies. They kill the, the goody two-shoe boyfriend and the other boyfriend. They say, no, fuck the world. We are queer. We're going to go live our happy little murderous lives together. And I think that it's smart because when you have been raised on like the 80s movies where queerness is the villain... And it comes in and threatens heteronormativity. And then the heteronormativity has to eventually destroy it and win to succeed it. I'm thinking Nightmare on Elm Street 2. I'm thinking Fright Night. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking Lost Boys, yeah. Near Dark, like a whole host of those movies where queerness is a subtext. This, it's like the opposite. Yes, they are using the the concept and subtext of a queer villain. But by the end of the movie, they are saying, fuck you to heteronormativity. Heteronormativity does not win. They end up going off on their own little life. And that's why I think this movie is smarter than it gets credit for. See, like, I, get, I guess I get that. I just wish it was more in the forefront. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I think I'm just mm-hmm. frustrated in, in 2022 watching this and being like, just make them queer. And like, yeah, I, I also, I and I think I also was focusing a lot on the social media aspect too. Like, I wasn't necessarily looking at this as a rom, see, your perspective of watching it as a rom-com is like, that makes so much sense. And I, I think, I do think that what it's doing with its ending is really smart. Like, I do love that mm-hmm. trajectory. I just, I think that they were trying to make something about social media that doesn't Oh, hit. they were. And I and mm-hmm. I, I get, like, this whole, like, social media makes you a murderer, sociopath, whatever the whatever the fuck. I just, I think that part, to me, was not done as well. And that was what was kind of more my focus in watching this and kind of what drew my attention more in terms of trying to parse it. Because of the queerness, I was like, oh, yeah, these two girls are fucking in love with each other. Um, yeah. But I think I just, I think what they were trying to do was make, it, okay, this is my perspective. It felt like they were trying to make a queer movie without making it queer, but then put the social media on top of it to make it seem more alluring, marketing-wise, mm-hmm. maybe. 
And again, this is all pure like projection on my part. Oh, it's pure projection on my yeah. part too. Oh, yeah. I because I remember like Tara Ainsley, who now uh, runs um, or owns Fangoria. She's a producer on this. And when I first posted, because I have an article, and we can maybe link it in the show yeah. notes. I have an article where I kind of dig further into it. But like when I posted that article, she had DM'd me, and she's like, "Yeah, I don't, I don't think, I, I don't think the queerness was intentional. Like it definitely had like this kind of. I don't think that's what the writers intended. So I've." But like, as as a queer person, that's what we. But like, how can that's you not see do. that though in this movie? Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't even feel like a reach, at yeah. all. Like, I I think we've talked, we've had, we've had bigger reaches in this in the mm-hmm. history of this show with queerness. But like, how could you I, look? I know that people get annoyed when it's like, but girls can be friends too. But like, come on now, are you kidding me? Two girls who murder and like don't want them to have boyfriends. Like, I don't. Well, in the conversation too, yeah. where like once once they they once they've broken up, and Michaela goes to Sadie and she's like, "We need to talk." And Sadie's like, "Not now. We're at school." And she's like, "Who cares?" And she's like, "Lower your voice. They're watching me." And that right there speaks to like a nugget of experience that I think a lot of closeted queer people, particularly um, around my age, I don't know if I can't speak to anyone else, but like around my age, that was an experience that I ran into where there was there was a guy I thought we might have something more. And I thought maybe this person would be someone that like, I would be interested in maybe they'd be interested in me. And then there was a day where like, they just stopped talking to me immediately. And it was like this, it just felt this moment felt very, like, full of that kind of intention where it's like, Yes, they're talking about a murder, and that's not what. And she obviously doesn't want to talk about it because they've killed people, right? So, like, it makes sense, like on a on a narrative level. But like, stripping away that text and looking at what is the deeper meaning behind it, it just it rang true of like a lot of closeted people that one person maybe gets popular or one person falls in with a different crowd and is like, oh, I don't want to talk with you because I don't want people to think that I'm queer too. Yeah. I always do also think it's interesting when like men write movies like this yeah and again i'm not saying that men can't write movies about women and young women it just i'm always it always just it does make a little bit of like a ooh in my head a little bit of a oh mm-hmm. i think that it's handled i think it's handled pretty well here i i think that these are yeah. pretty pretty well fleshed out characters with their family backgrounds and i want to I wanted so much more, but I also think that's because I liked what they were doing with the characters, and I just wanted more about these characters, because both how they're written sense. and their performances are so interesting. Alexander Ship is just, I love her. I know. She is so funny in this. I know. I think she's hilarious. Yeah, so I think this movie I have to noodle on a little bit more. I, I liked it overall, but there's just something about it that didn't hit me as, didn't like strike me as much as I think it struck you. I get that. But I'm glad I saw 100%. it. 100%. I think it, it is an interesting kind of... I, I mean, goddamn fucking carry shit with them chaining everyone in and burning down the prom. <sighs> Iconic. Iconic. I love it. And Iconic. I love it. Regardless of if they think it's queer or not, gr- some, that's some, like, girls coming together and beating, like, assumptions about eternalized misogyny. And also, it's a white girl and a black girl. Like, we also don't ever see that kind of thing. And they don't, and I know, like, that's not really a, like, race is not a conversation in this movie, which I think is actually pretty forward thinking for a 2017 movie. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's still, like, important to note, like, 
a black character or a black actor was put into this role and it was just like, yeah, see, look, you can do these things and it doesn't affect the quality of a movie. Like, actually, she's one of the best parts of the fucking movie. So it's just, yeah. it is, again, really amazing to see that and have, like, what the story is and the actors who portray it. Like, it's really awesome. So regardless of why it's not, like, a five-star situation, I'm still, like, really impressed by it. See, I wasn't going to come in, I, I wasn't say... going to come in here guns blazing and be like, fuck, sucked. Like, that would have been terrible. <laughs> I would give you a little I know, it was just the, it was the tone right before we hit record where you were like I was like and we get to, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on tragedy girls so like yeah I know it's like that pause I know it's like I'm just not as excited about this one as Terry as I feel bad but it's just my uh, truth <laughs> and you know we don't have to like everything obviously like there's so many <laughs> movies where I'm the one that's like yeah <laughs> Exorcist <laughs> The Shining <laughs> Martyrs <laughs> like <laughs> it happens it's my turn man. to be my turn my turn to be the <laughs> I, I will say that you know one of the, yes I do think that they were trying to make a movie about uh, social media however I will also say that I do think we both know at least a couple people who have turned their social media presence into personal tragedy and like that is all that they have and they kind of benefit off of that. So um, I would say that in, in some situations, some of the critique felt a little bit on the nose. Yeah, <laughs> but... and that's the thing. It's like, I just, I think that they were trying to do a lot that didn't get like fully realized in my in my head. But I think they were on. It's they... a millennial movie that has yeah. young kid people that, that is at, at a time of Gen Z. Yeah, right? so it's. It, I would love to see. I want to see a sequel. I would love to see a sequel of these two women. I'm going to call them women. Two women going to college and like what their relationship involves oh, and looks like. I think that'd be so too. cool. Make it textually queer. Please. Would be nice. Let them eat each other's pussies. Anyway. Um... <laughs> yes. Or I mean, like whatever. Let's. Anyway, uh, that's my contribution to society on this beautiful day. Um, so we have this. This marks the end of our horror comedy series. Um, we have mm-hmm. gone chronologically through a lot of different horror comedies. Wow, we have gone, but it's been really cool to like see how it's changed and see what stayed the same, and also watch how what horror comedies have really shaped horror in general. So that it's been quite a journey. It has. And I I meant to bring this up before we started recording, but I'm going to put you on the spot now. Since we're done with this series, what would you say is like your favorite that we've seen? Uh, Or the one that like immediately jumps out? I can I can say mine while you're while you're thinking. Yeah, you go. My favorite is actually um, the old dark. Is it the old dark house? Yes. From 1932. (laughs) Yeah. James Wales is the old dark house was probably my favorite. Um horror comedy that, that we've seen that I had not seen before, I should also say. Uh, I just, I thought that movie was absolutely gorgeous, uh, was both creating and lampooning um, the sort of like strangers in a house genre, subgenre of, of horror. And it just, I thought it was just, I thought it was wicked. I really enjoyed that. I, that I wouldn't surprise me more than I expected it to for me personally. You know, the two that the two that popped into my head are not necessarily ones that were like, like good, but it was mm-hmm. 
It's the it was the Spanish horror comedy that we watched. Oh yeah. The Spectre's Road. What it was called. Yes. The Spectre's Road, and I think it's the. I think just because it was a horror comedy from not America, and I think it was just really cool to see that, like what what comedy looks like, and like an early horror comedy looks like, not in the U.S. So I think that, and I, the skeleton imagery fucking cracked me the fuck up. Like, it's like the one of the images that pops into my head whenever, like, as soon as you talked about horror comedy, like, I think of that image, because it's just, like, so goofy, but I, I love it. Um, and then the other one that actually popped into my head was the one with Dan Aykroyd. Oh, my God. Nothing, it was nothing but trouble. Like, it's so problematic and not good, but it's so <laughs> it's so ridiculous. It's so crazy. It's so wild and no one talks about it that, like, it just stuck in my brain as, like, this weird fucking thing that, ex- that shouldn't exist, but it does. And it's that one. Because I think it's, it's the whole context around it, too, and just what it is. I just... I, I kind of loved it for all of its problems. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, I get that. It was. It, it's a movie that you cannot believe has has been made. Like, you just cannot. Also, the movie uh, Purpurina Stitch is in our chat and uh, said El Camino de los Espantos yes. was that movie. Yes, El Camino de los Espantos, which was a movie recommendation from from El. So, so I yeah, that was yeah. those two were the ones that like really stuck out to me but the old dark house also did because we were i mean we talked about talk about queer we talked about queerness in that with james whale and pre-haze pre-haze code code. it's just it's that one is absolutely incredible as well so those those are the ones i mean then there's others that like i've seen before that i love um abna costello meet frankenstein classic slither classic night of the creeps Classic. Yeah, I guess, and the ones I picked were the ones I had never heard of either. Either I had right. seen, like, the mm-hmm. other ones I, I I knew about or had, like, seen or seen parts of before, but those two were, like, surprises. The, uh, movies that I'd never even heard of and never probably would have experienced without this series, and I love that we get yeah. the opportunity to push ourselves to watch these kinds of movies. Even if we don't love them, it's just we get to appreciate them and, like, what horror history looks like and things like that so it's just really cool to get to watch this movie not everything can be the boneyard (laughs) just the poodle is not as in it as much as i thought it was going to be yeah it's unfortunate it really is unfortunate (laughs) but you know we can't have it all (laughs) we can't have it all so we, as you said, we are done with our horror comedy series. What adventure are we going to embark on next, Mary Beth? Okay, so like ratting on myself, I have only seen uh, Child's Play, and I have not seen any other Chucky movies. So what we are going to do for starting the holiday season, and obviously going past it, is we are going to start watching the Chucky series. We have all, we have already talked about Child's Play, the first one on the podcast, so we're going to start with Child's Play 2. So if you want to go back and listen to our Child's Play 1 episode, it's pretty early on. You can go find that. It's a more in-depth discussion with a guest. And then, um, but we're starting with Child's Play 2 and then watching all of them uh, for my benefit and my education. And my benefit. Your, yeah, your benefit. Them. I'm very excited. I, I am love very them. excited. It's so funny. We always talk about this at my um, my favorite record store. Literally had the fucking seven Blu-ray seven movie collection of Chucky. Uh, so I, I think I have that exact one somewhere. Yeah, and I 
so I'm super stoked. Really, you know what I'm most excited for? Jennifer Tilly. So hmm. I'm just uh, can't once wait. we get to Bride of Chucky. I can't fucking wait. So I'm very excited for this series, so I can finally heal up some uh, some spots uh, that are empty in my horror knowledge. But then, who are we talking to on Monday? We are talking with podcaster and YouTuber Bobby Torres. Uh, he's the host of the Bobby Likes It Spooky YouTube series. He's also a co-host on a couple podcasts. And he brought with him, whoo boy, the 1990 miniseries It. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> Read my letterbox review of It, and that'll give you a preview of my journey with that movie. <laughs> But yeah, so we talk about that. We talk about the book because the book is Terry's favorite novel. Read it six times or so. It's so wild that you read that book so many times. I respect it and love it. It's just wild that you've read that fucking ginormous tome so many times. Mm -hmm. It's huge. So yeah, we talk about that. We talk about the miniseries. We talk about the, uh, the new movies that came out. We sort of just dissect it as a whole. Yeah, it was fun. I can't wait to hear it everyone's was. opinions. Bobby's great. I love him. I know. Oh, we have we all have a lot of opinions. Uh, you okay. sure do. Anyway, <laughs> so listeners, you have heard from us, but we want to hear from you. Did you watch one of the movies or shows that we talked about on the podcast and have thoughts? Do you have suggestions for things we should be covering? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. Sorry, I was burping. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And uh, if you've stuck along this long in our uh, wrap out, wrap out, wrap up. We <laughs> wrap are not out. wrapping out. <laughs> oh my God. You do not want to see me do some raps. Although I will say that I can do handlebars really well. The Flowbot song. That was my go-to uh, karaoke jam for a while. Fuck anyway, it. wow, I'm gonna file that one back into my Terry knowledge part of my brain. <laughs> but uh, we are not rapping in um, in in December. However, uh, for those that are still listening to us, if y'all know how to get... reviews, Terry has to do handlebars. Yes, you have to. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, yes. If we get a hundred more reviews, I. We'll do, I will wrap handlebars. I will debase myself for our followers and wrap that song. That's marketing, baby. I will do that. <laughs> Absolutely. So 100 reviews, not 100 total reviews, 100 reviews from now. I will do that. Get cracking. Um, but Patreon, if you are a Patreon subscriber, we got a lot coming for you on the first you're going to get a seltzer for life. And boy, was it a choice. We had a bad time. It was a choice for both of us. Over two. Um, on the 7th, you're going to have a fucking two-hour discussion of Soft and Quiet. Did we mean to talk Did not expect hours? it to go that long. No. Is it a good conversation? Uh, I... Yes. <laughs> we didn't have a, we, so we you're had a plan. Get... We just didn't have that long of a plan. But it's great. It's a great exactly. episode. It, it really is. Um, so yeah, you'll have two hours of that. 
coming for the Fresh Wound subscribers. And also, we're just doing a bonus episode because we love you. So, Fresh, Fresh Wound subscribers, on the following Wednesday, what is that, the 14th, we're also releasing um, a mini-sode spoiler cast of um, Barbarian. Got a lot coming your way. So much content for you. Tell your friends about the content. And have them. My camera has decided to not focus on me. Oh, okay, cool. That got 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 worse. worse. (laughs) There we go. But um, yeah, we've got so much cool stuff coming up. So please, uh, you know, if you're not if you're not a freshman supporter, uh, give us a try. Maybe Um, if you are a freshman supporter, help share. It'd be really helpful to get more people uh, subscribed to the Patreon. So. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Nope. Thank you to Eric Power for artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. Hope you had a lovely Thanksgiving, and most importantly, stay creepy. And as uh, EL says, 100% worth the sub as a freshman supporter. Thank you. And um, with that, until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.